Hey you, thanks so much for tuning in. I just had a conversation with Mariah Mansfeldbeck. She is the co-founder of a femcare brand named Yoni, and it was such an inspirational talk. I think for this podcast and for me personally as well. So Mariah has that rare combination between being really sassy, business strategic, and also a more soft side, which I really appreciate. She was able to make a brand really big and successful out of nothing. Just by feeling the urgency and obviously having a talent for knowing where to go. But also, she has a really friendly, empathic, humane leadership style. She makes innovative, creative decisions, I found, like working less and then allowing more space for pause, for motherhood, for a yoga practice. She's even a yoga teacher. And when I asked her, what do future leaders and companies need? She surprised me. And I'm guessing her answer will do the same to you. It was, in short, we need to take more breaks. I'm going to let her explain why. Have fun. Mariah Mansfeldbeck always aimed to have a positive impact on the world. This led her to working for Doctors Without Borders, a headquarters as well as in the field, to being a social worker, as well as to giving yoga and meditation classes, something she still does. When Mariah was 30, she found out she was developing cervical cancer. This sparked an interest in her health and led her, together with friend Wendeline Hebli, to realize no ingredients were listed on the packaging of regular tampons, pads, and liners. Together, they started Yoni. Yoni is a femcare brand aiming to break open the taboo around menstruation and to provide healthy, sustainable alternatives to regular femcare. They now have organic cotton tampons, pads and liners, as well as more sustainable options like the menstrual cup and period-proof underwear. Thank you so much for joining me, Mariah. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a bit of a gray day here in Amsterdam. Uh, we're recording in a Amsterdam studio, which is actually not a studio, but we thought, you know, talking about the future of work, we probably have to take into account that we will work a lot more from home, whatever happens. Um, did you work from home for Yoni or for some of the other things that you do, perhaps even yoga classes from home? Um, I actually, well, no, that's not true. I did give yoga classes from home in the past, uh, let's say, two years or so uh, since we've been stuck home more. It's been two years, right? Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. no, it's crazy. I never had, like, at the beginning, it was just good. I didn't know that this would, we'd still be kind of here. No. Um, and I was always a big supporter of working from home. And so even though uh, some of my investors questioned um, my kind of like flexible work policy. And so from the start, we always said, you know, uh, we don't have set hours necessarily. Uh, we ourselves uh, started at 10 generally um, because we wanted our mornings at first before we had kids. We wanted to have mornings filled with like, doing your sports or whatever you wanted to do. So having kind of your you oh, time you and then going into work. That time when you were still able to journal before <laughs> the day started. The, with the, uh, the time when I had a miracle morning <laughs> practice or whatever. Yeah, that's long ago. Yeah. The time when I wasn't like trying to prep lunch, uh, get someone dressed and outdoor. Um, and then it became that. Um, um, 
Yeah, so and you still needed the, the first hours up until 10 to organize your day. Or yeah, and then to get it. coffee in me and feel kind of like have a moment of like serenity and then yeah. continue on into the work day. And so we've always tried to um, encourage employees once people started working for us to take that time as well. Although I did notice that most people seem to take on our rhythm and that it took a while for some people to like show up at the office at eight o'clock because they were like, you know, early mornings are my thing or uh, yeah, so evenings are my thing. Perhaps people preferred eight to four. Or, yeah, 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 which would have been totally fine. Um, but it's funny because when you're in the lead, you start to notice that people follow your lead, sometimes unnecessarily so. Yeah. But it's always been my thinking that you should take a look at your day, see how you can best structure it for yourself and when like when are your most effective hours and then try to yeah, structure your life and work around that. Yeah. And so suddenly what you thought was you and your way of working then became the new norm. Yeah, and luckily. So, I mean, then all of a sudden all my investors were like, yay, uh, um, because we didn't have that many troubles. Uh, no, because people changing, were already, because already Yeah, and the facilities were there. It was no problem for people to work at home. The one thing that we all had to get used to was that you were really working from home from long periods of time and that yeah. we didn't ever see each other for quite a while. And yeah, that was different and not necessarily... Uh, something better. But I think everyone will continue to work from home more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think so too. Did you do anything specific, just very briefly before we go into the interview, did you do anything specific to to have some feeling of team, of, of being a company? Because that was for a lot of leaders, I think was very hard, right? To kind of keep that loyalty or the solidarity or the contact even. Yeah. At the start of the lockdown, we had every morning, we had like check-in moments with each other. And we already, we still have that. And we had that in place beforehand that we have our stand-up. And so at 10 o'clock on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we still do it. But during like the start of the lockdown, when it was all new, we did it every single day. We'll all meet online or in the office, semi-online now, um, and we'll check in with each other. And so we talk about how do you feel and what are your priorities for the day. And if you have like questions or need information, then it's a time to kind of flag it. And then also colleagues know, oh, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. I can, I, I have something that I should share with you then, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that. Um, uh, specifically, we amped up the intensity of just checking in with each other. Yeah, interesting. Even though a lot of people find working online itself already more intensive, right? All right, so before, um, I want to know much more about Yoni and about how 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 you guys work, uh, what the decisions are. But, I mean, I just read out loud your bio and you have such a radically weird change in pathways there, going from the humanitarian field towards the world of blood and mm -hmm. menstruation. So when you were a kid, I'm guessing that you probably didn't think I want to make tampons. But what did you think? What what did you want to be when you <laughs> Yeah, grew no, up? it was not my little girl dream to have a tampon company. I don't think it's anyone's little girl dream, except maybe my daughter will once fall. Actually, she doesn't because she already says, I'm not going to do what you do, mommy. <laughs> um, um, when I was little, 
Um, there are various things that I wanted, but one of the things that has remained constant and uh, I think you can see in my career line. So I, I see the red line. Like, and for me, it yeah. all makes sense. But is that I wanted to make a positive change in the world. Mm. And that's something that I knew since I was very, very small. And it was, it took me a while to try to, I still don't know exactly where it came from. But then when I had my daughter, my mom gave me books that she used to read to me. And one of the books is called Miss Rumphius. And in that book, there's a story of this little girl, Alice, who grows up and she looks up at her grandfather and says, Grandpa, when I grow up, can I be like you? And he says, well, of course, my little Alice. And she's like, yeah, I want to live at the sea and I want to travel the world. And he says, well, there's one more thing you have to do. You have to do something to make the world more beautiful. And in one page, she becomes a librarian. That's something that I used to want to do, which I think is also a little bit of a strange kind of want for a little girl. Um, so I'm guessing that that book influenced me, and I did like reading. Um, it's not um, very princessy. No, it's not very princessy at all. Um, but another thing that I've always remembered is having this drive to want to make a positive change to the world. And maybe that came, maybe like the seed was planted from that book. Yeah. I don't know. And then there also seems to be something, well, two things. There, there must be some kind of curiosity in you because I know for Yoni, you and your co-founder and friend back then did a lot of research. So apparently if you stumble upon something that isn't right or doesn't make sense, then you're more than willing to spend time and energy and perhaps even money in it in order to do something about that, right? Yeah, I guess I'm I've always, um, I guess when I was younger and wanting to go and I went into kind of like humanitarian help and I was studying international development and was always kind of interested in NGOs and development work and third world countries. And um, um, people around me sometimes were very critical of that. And my stance has always been, um, you can be critical, but then you can't, <laughs> if nobody does anything about it, nothing's going to change. And so yeah. you, you need to, there needs to be some action. And I've always felt somehow very drawn and very, uh, feel involved in like world problems. <laughs> so problems that weren't necessarily anything that were happening outside of my doorstep. I've had a very privileged uh, upbringing, I believe. Um, but I felt the need that there were injustices in the world, that there were things that I didn't understand, um, that were unfair, that I realized that I was in a privileged position and I felt like I wanted to do something about that. And that led me to working for Doctors Without Borders. That were, That's why I went and was a social worker um, and saw a totally different part of Amsterdam uh, than I normally did. Um, and I guess also brought me to yoga and it also uh, brought me to Yoni. So that is the red thread. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently you're also not afraid to kind of dive into new worlds or to try out something new. Easily bored. So mm. that's, that's another way of putting it. I was trying to say, state it in a more positive way. Well, the more, yeah, I like a, I like a challenge. Yeah, and I mean, just I, I, I can imagine that you have told this story so many times. So I'm just going to do my best and paraphrase it. Um, as you were developing cervical cancer, there's an association or an expectation that cervical cancer might have something to do with some of the chemicals that 
might be in tampons, right? That's no, no, only- that was actually not the association. So I I found out um, when I, in the Netherlands here, you receive like uh, a letter that you can go and get checked up yeah. for cervical cancer. I did that when I was 29, right before my 30th birthday and found out that I was in developmental stages and then had to spend the next, let's say, six months going in and out of hospitals. And I had a number of procedures and finally ended with an operation. And... Throughout that time, I just kept asking all my doctors, maybe this is the American in me or something because I'm American and half Dutch. Um, In Holland, healthcare is very procedural. In America, if you can pay for it, that's the downside. I do believe it's more holistic and people will give you a broader range of advice. And I just kept asking all my doctors, what can I do to further support my health? And I received very little information other than like, don't smoke, um, uh, don't drink, don't do drugs. Yeah. Uh, that's like what you can do. I'm like, you must be fucking kidding yeah. me. Um, <laughs> and so I was really active in looking for things that would support my health. And I came across uh, organic cotton tampons and pads and wonder why I'd never heard about that. And then realized together with my friend that on the normal packaging of tampons, pads and Liners, there's, there's no, no list of the composition. Yeah. There's nothing. And they fall under general product regulation um, in the EU, which means that maybe the chair that I'm sitting on is more regulated in terms <laughs> um, than uh, the tampons and pads I'm using in one of the most absorbent parts of my body. Yeah. And what is known is that um, using a cotton product will generally reduce your risk of irritation, et cetera. And especially mm-hmm. if you're developing cervical cancer, there is some sort of irritation in that area of your body. And so I was motivated to take a look at this and to question and to want to, together with my friend, we basically immediately felt like every woman should know that there are alternatives out there. And since they're not widely available, if they're not widely available, then they're not really available. Then people don't have access to them. Not everybody lives like next door to like a nice organic shop that's fully stocked. Um, so we want to get them onto mainstream shelves next to the four huge companies that dominate the femcare market, which are basically the Procter & Gamble's and the Johnson & Johnson's that we all know. And so that was, yeah, that was our motivation. And then when you started that, you also had the opportunity to really start a company that was working on your own terms, which, yeah, I mean, you just yeah. gave some examples, like no, nobody has to work in the office necessarily every day. You can choose your own times. Is there more? Um, I think I heard you say something about like, if you have children, um, then we take that very seriously. You don't have to stress if, if, if your daughter or your son is sick. I think you said that in a different podcast that you take, you know. Um, Try yeah. to take that into account. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, my... I never uh, thought I was going to be in business and um, uh, maybe therefore have a different, a little bit of a different take on um, how to lead a business. Um, um, but one, we are a B Corp. And um, I think that kind of sets a standard and challenges you as, um, um, as a founder of a business to look at every aspect of your business and to see how you could do better. Um, so I think that was something important that we wanted to put in place, especially as the business has grown bigger than myself. I'm no longer in the daily lead of the business. 
um, that there's a standard set for other people who are involved in the business who understand, okay, that's important. Like, and you have to recertify. So you can't just be like, oh, we've ticked that box and now we can do whatever we want. Um, so that was something that was important along the way. And then otherwise, I've just tried to think of my own experiences and just to be human about things. And then, um, yeah, that leads you to, yeah, be lenient to people when their kids are sick. Or, I mean, it just is kind of common sense, I would think. I know, it's funny, right? Because we talk about the future of work and leadership a lot in this podcast. It's the whole theme. And every time you hear those most inspirational leaders or the companies that really own the credits or, you know, that are really seen as good towards their people. And it basically just comes down to freaking common sense. It's just being kind and being a little bit flexible and, and really establishing connection and contact between people. Yeah. And so something I speak to a lot um, and I kind of... Uh, I have to uh, contribute uh, the words, I think, to Ben or Jerry uh, from Ben and Jerry's, uh, the company. Um, but I think a mistake that we've made is that we have kind of compartmentalized our lives. So you have your private life, you have your spiritual life, you have your professional lives. At the moment, we're most powerful, generally speaking, in our professional lives. And... Um, um, I believe we need to integrate those and it's a mistake to compartmentalize. So this leads, the compartmentalization leads to kind of people who probably have great family relations, might go, I don't know, have some sort of spiritual practice, whether that's going to church or just understanding that we're all connected in whatever way, um, um, to go for profit only and to make decisions that obviously have negative consequences to lots of people or the environment and thus also people. Yeah, um, so if I understand you correctly, you say you can be a super nice, like kind family person and not see the problem with being in a business that only goes for the profit. Like, because yeah. it's such... And I can't understand, like for me, I could never work for that kind of company. I never have imagined or dreamed myself to be in that type of position. It seems completely useless and unfortunate um, waste of your time in life. And so for me, it's become actually quite exciting then setting up a business and all of a sudden being in business to be able to talk about it in a way where I believe we need to to integrate our social. So the way that I treat my daughter on my good days and <laughs> uh, and my best friends and those kind of things, the way I treat my loved ones, the way that I understand that I'm connected to the environment, to people way further away in different circumstances, um, that that is, that is so important that I bring that into my business and lead from there. Yeah. What, what did you, I mean, because that, Sounds like you now know and have like a, a way of phrasing or putting it as well. What did you have to learn most to, to get to that understanding? Or was it something that completely came natural? I mean, you were I feel, an unexpected I feel it, I feel entrepreneur. It, I feel like it's come quite naturally. Yeah, this Although just makes sense. Although them being in business, I sometimes see, I say like I'm an idealist. And then in business, sometimes I have to be pragmatic. Yeah. Um, so it does mean that I haven't made the most environmental best decisions in every aspect of my business all the time. Like it's it's not possible. And I understand I'm also my own shortcoming. So I have my hangups and I'm triggered as a human being when whatever happens. Um, 
And then I'm not the most compassionate person to my employee who has done X, Y, Z or whatever. Um, and so I do believe um, that real change and that also excites me because I believe re real change starts from within and taking a good hard look at who you are. And from there, there's tons of change uh, and, and space um, um, for improvement and to do wildly amazing things and to hopefully make positive steps forward. What, what did you learn about yourself? Because it, we were just talking right before the episode started about how being a business owner or an entrepreneur or a leader really just is a different personal growth type training, right? It yeah. really learns you so much. So what did you learn? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I can... Uh, you probably have to like touch on colleagues. one thing. Yeah. Like uh, I definitely had to like go and look at my past, take a big hard look at my past and understand how that works out and when I get triggered and mm. all these types of things. I think one of the things that I've been learning um, in the past while is how to pause and to try to remain soft and spacious in settings where um, um, it could be more easy to be defensive and to want to get my point across. Yeah. And how listening sometimes is more important rather than speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I understand what you say. So if we think about change and future change, I mean, you really gave a wonderful example, I think, of, of really changing something that was just not happening, but it made sense for you. If you think about, you know, companies in the future or people who run those companies, what do you think... What are the most important lessons? What do we have to learn in order to get to a future scenario that is still livable? What's a strategy or a capability? Oh, it's a difficult question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a complex question. I think it would be good if we would all take a little bit more time to pause mm, and to that. feel. I think that would actually bring about a lot more change than we might think in or otherwise. I mean, we can do all sorts of things, but I think actually just taking a moment to pause and to feel into uh, what's being proposed or what's, what's here or what's there before you act would actually bring about a lot of Positive change. Is that something that you try to practice? I understand perhaps it's I not just always. became a restorative yoga teacher. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, that's become a really big part of my life in the past uh, two years as I've transitioned out of the day-to-day -day leadership position in Yoni and now am only kind of with Yoni, let's say, two days a week or so. Um, I have a lot more space and time for reflection as well as to pause Um, I'm also in the, we were just speaking about that, but because of the lockdown, I've had a lot more one-on-one -on -one time with my daughter. Um, I've had to pause a lot more in that to be, yeah, still be a good mom. <laughs> um, and I can just see it in a lot of my interactions that just pausing and listening, pausing, feeling into things um, has brought me a lot more than wanting to get my point across and yeah, it's, acting. It's, it's interesting because I think, Nowadays, in 
our culture, people often say silences are scary for people, right? Like even in a conversation, if there's a silence, it feels uncomfortable. It's actually a trick amongst journalists, you know, just in, in, a, um, uh, in a conversation. Yeah, no. And also like in negotiations, it's also a trick. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you just drop a silence and then the other per person will feel uncomfortable and say something without really knowing what he or she wants to say. And then, you know, um, sometimes you, you get something done or you get that one quote that you need. But I'm thinking now, just reflecting on your words, that perhaps we're also afraid of pauses, just like sitting still and being with yourself. And I think that's why I say that change in this world is only really going to happen if we're comfortable with ourselves. It's the, the small within is a reflection of our outer world. Um, And it does, you know, big changes and, and the changes that are needed at the moment also require action, of course. But I do believe that, like, at the, like, core of it, um, we need to be able to be with ourselves, And that's our most important relationship uh, in our life is with ourselves. And the way that we speak to ourselves, the way that we treat ourselves is generally not the way that we would want to show up for our loved ones around us. And I think once we start to show up for ourselves in the way that we would want to for our loved ones, I think a lot of it will change. And I think that requires the pause to but, be with yourself. Yeah, but there's almost two types of hurry. Perhaps there's ourselves being addicted to busyness, or at least mm -hmm. I catch myself. It's very easy yeah. to be addicted to that. Um, and then there's also the culture of growth and more and hustle, hustle etc. And so it's it's I love that you now that you work two days for Yoni that you apparently didn't you know it would also have been a logical decision to go onwards directly with a new company but apparently you made a different decision. Yeah <laughs> yeah and luckily so for my own mental health. Yeah. I mean uh, I there, needed to rest. Is there more space in your days now? Yeah, way more. Uh, and not. I'm, I have a lot of... Uh, I've also really taken joy and time to be with my daughter and uh, embrace being a mom with my six-and-a-half-year-old and, a half year old and that time's never going to come back. And a lot of the time when she was young, I was really busy as well. So um, it's great to be uh, with her now and to, yeah, to just be able to take that time and to... Uh, see the value in that rather than always needing it to be. And I have that motivation is always within me to like do something big and to change the world and make a positive impact. Um, but there is just as much value in being uh, more conscious as a person in your day-to-day -day life and showing up at the cashier at the supermarket and something happening and being able to be there and be a positive, kind person and to then pick up your daughter and be a good parent, those things are also valuable. And that's something that I've had to learn. Yeah, and without trying to make this effective again, I'm, I'm wondering, do you notice that now that you have perhaps a bit more time to reflect sometimes, does it also positively impact your leadership? Like, do ideas come? Do you notice that if you pause, sometimes you feel better what you need to do, for example? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, even when I was busy, I would 
when I needed to make decisions, et cetera, I did try to pause. So I'd like walk to work instead of bike to work to just find that time for reflection. Um, um, so I always tried to build in a little bit of time because I, I need that. And I think everybody needs it, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how walking, I do that too, especially on busy days. If I have back-to-back meetings, it's, it's I'd rather leave home 30 minutes earlier and then walk it. It's not far, but it really helps to kind of, you know, have some time, set your own intentions, just meander through your own mind. And it gives a really different start of the day. Yeah, yeah, more intentional. Yeah, I try to slow down in general if I feel really hasty. Yeah, like, yeah, you because you can, you can go fast, but you can move fast, but not hurry. There's a difference. Um, and I think you just said something really important, namely you show up. I think it's in the mindfulness, right? It's such a popular word nowadays, but it's, I do feel the difference with it. If I have exactly the same day, but I'm here with you now and I'm here with you now instead of perhaps already thinking of the next guest or then I will feel so much less busy than if I'm just kind of all over the place in my mind. And for me, it's been quite amazing to see, especially going into sometimes interactions that are loaded. So like emotionally triggering or uh, that I could think are going to be... um, uh, for whatever reason, uh, uh, difficult or confrontational, and to then take time beforehand to be really intentional about how, what I want the outcome to be, what I want to say, um, and to get really clear on that, and then to go into these types of interactions in that way, for me, has been a game changer. You can say everything then without getting defensive reactions if you're emotionally clear in what you're saying. Um, and it just, the outcome is completely different. And I've really enjoyed um, growing into that. Do you do you sometimes visualize difficult Yeah, so I do a specific type of meditation. Um, um, you can find it, Vishnin Lakini from uh, Mind Valley uh, has a number of uh, uh, YouTube videos where he leads the meditation. Um, and it's called the six phase meditation. And it's a meditation that I don't, like, one, um, I love it because it is, and he explains how meditation can be something so much more creative than, like, a mindful meditation Mm. where you're just trying to clear your thoughts. Um, For when you're, like, a really creative person or really busy that doesn't really necessarily work, it can give you benefit, but it feels really boring. And this type of meditation is much more creative, and so you just start, I think, kind of thinking about um, uh, things that you're grateful for, um, um, and then you kind of send out positive vibes. uh, And and then you start to visualize, I'm not saying all the steps I think in the right order, but kind of generally, um, you visualize uh, your day. um, And when I'm going into these kind of confrontational or maybe potentially confrontational interactions, I'll visualize it like pretty detailed to in in detail, but not focusing on yeah not it is detailed and it's not detailed. You have to feel into that. Um, so visualizing how I want to feel uh, yeah. within the interactions and kind of what my intention is, getting really clear on that. And then you also visualize like where you want to be in like two years time or three years time because supposedly people. Um, 
uh, have large expectations of what they could do in a year, but then in like five years' time, they uh, underestimate <laughs> where they could be. Um, yeah. So kind of getting clear on the longer period of time or how that ties into Yeah, things. and I think what you just kind of said, perhaps it's more important to to feel into how you want to feel than to have all the details straight about who wears what, yeah. right? It's more the feeling. I have to do that anyways because that's one thing that I think people never mention when they talk about visualizations. I can't visualize, so I don't see anything. Um, and that's why visual meditations, I've always thought that were like the dumbest things ever, like see yourself on an island and I do not see anything. I have a best friend who sees everything very detailed. Yeah. I see nothing. So I feel, yeah. that's how I visualize. I feel into uh, what I want my day to feel like. Yeah. I have to feel Same into here. my visualization. That sounds like a great tip, this one. I'll put it in the show notes. If yeah, it's fantastic. Know. And then you obviously leave it up to anything, like any better yeah. outcomes that you can't, that you don't see. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Do you have um, another book or film or quote or podcast that really inspires you in your daily work or something that you think our listeners might find nice? This is the last question. Yeah. Oh, um, I have... Perhaps Yoni now has a podcast, right, that we can listen to? They do have a podcast, so the Pussycast. Um, I'll put that in the show notes as it's well. It's not what inspires me. Sorry, Yoni. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what is, like, my latest source of inspiration. I like Martha Beck and some of her books. She just came out with a new book, um, so I really enjoy reading her books, and they're also semi about conscious leadership, reflection, um, those kind of things. So I've oh, really enjoyed her. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us here um, on this gray Amsterdam day uh, and talking about uh, not so great things. That's wonderful. Yeah. And thank you all for listening to the episode of the Unmachine Yourself podcast. If you found this story inspiring, if you know somebody, including yourself, who might um, need a little bit of a break or a pause or just a little bit of silence, then please do share this episode with your own network and um, yeah, get the ripple effect going. I really think that we need fresh ideas like these um, in order to become different leaders, in order to lead organizations in a different way. You'd also make us really happy with a review in iTunes, not just because it's so nice for my ego, but also because it really makes it easier to find this episode uh, for listeners who are not familiar yet with the podcast. So thank you very much for that. And um, if you want to receive letters from the future, including art from the future and recipes and um, articles and news, then please check imhatch.com and you'll see a button on the top right. Um, until next time, bye.